So Money, episode 827, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host Kara Stevens, the Frugal Feminista, a replay originally airing on July 13th, 2018. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everyone. July 13th, Friday the 13th. Is anyone out there suspicious? Not suspicious. What's the word? Uh, superstitious. Sorry, I'm still on like vacation mode. Just got back from the beach it's been a week, but it takes me a while to reacclimate to Brooklyn city life and work and all of that. We were at the beach all of July 4th week and we went to Avalon, New Jersey. Anyone, anyone familiar with Avalon, New Jersey? I grew up going there during my summers uh, in high school. What I've learned since I've been, I haven't gone back in a while is that the whole town has basically reconstructed itself, uh, because of the hurricanes in the last five years, there's been so much destruction. Avalon is kind of like a brand new town, which is sad in some ways, but also really cool. It's so beautiful. It's so clean. It wasn't very crowded. I highly recommend it for anyone who's in the east on the East Coast and looking for a beach town that's not overpopulated or messy or busy or tons of like, there's tons of different people there too. There's young people, there's older people, there families, there are singletons. So there's something for everybody and got back. And this week has been a lot of catching up and wanted to remind everybody that I've recently launched a podcast mastermind, so to speak. I'm calling it the So Money Podcast Accelerator. It sounds kind of corny, but a lot of you have been asking me for advice on how to launch a podcast. And I just thought, you know what? I want to help people formally. And rather than sell a course or do something exclusively online, I'm taking on a limited number of people every 12 weeks to sort of coach them through it. And the good news is that if you're really motivated, you will have a podcast up and running within 10 to 12 weeks, which not a lot of other programs can say that. They'll just give you the materials and the advice and they'll say, go, good luck. But we really try to keep everybody accountable and well-paced. And we are currently working with three beta clients, three people who will have podcasts up and running by September. And then shortly after the actual fall program will kick off. So if you're interested in launching that podcast and you've just been dragging your feet for whatever reason because it takes time and you don't have you don't feel like you have the direction or you just need someone to you know keep you motivated and accountable let's get in touch send me an email or go on Instagram and reach out to me you can also go to so moneypodcast.com click on ask farnoosh and let me know there but probably the best way is to go to Instagram and send me a direct message many of you have already done that and I have sent you material it's going to be a limited number of people who were going to enroll in the first uh official fall program for 12 weeks. So if you really want to do this and have a podcast up and running by 2019, that's on your bucket list. Let's get in touch. We'd love to support you. 
All right. So back to what I was saying earlier, Friday the 13th, I am not a superstitious person. And today I feel very lucky because we have an exceptional co-host with us. She is an expert in her own right when it comes to money. She's been on the show uh, not too long ago. Kara Stevens, welcome. Thank you, Farnoosh, for having me. I'm glad to be back. TheFrugalFeminista.com. You were on our podcast. Let me just check. Uh, episode 723. So not too long ago. Uh, how have you been since we last spoke a few months ago? Um, busy, busy. Um, just working with um, women trying to really heal their relationship with money. Um, I launched the book, Heal Your Relationship with Money, to you know give women who don't work with me one-on-one the opportunity to do the activities by themselves and um, speaking and just, you know, trying to enjoy life and being a mom and being a wife. So um, can't complain. It's been good. How do you stay motivated in the summer? I think that for me, it's uh, the summertime is it goes by really fast. And because I think it's warm and there's a lot of fun things to do and being outside and the kids are home, I just don't really have a lot of ambition when it comes to work. Although I do get stuff done, don't get me wrong, but I feel like the fall is way more driven for me. Yeah, I feel the same way. I try and give myself um, more time to do less things. So I just change my mindset for the summer. I just say it's going to be slower and I, I allow myself that. A lot of times since with you know um, the fall and the winter, which is like my real like work mode, I get a lot more done. So I don't feel bad. I think by the end of the year, if all these things are done, I'm satisfied. Well, you, I know you've been doing a lot of work over at thefrugalfeminista.com. And last time you were on our show, you encouraged everybody to go to thefrugalfeminista.com slash money slash mastermind, money dash mastermind. We'll put the link on our site. Have there been any developments there? Yeah, we just finished um, a mastermind around um, healing your relationship with time um, because the the whole course is around um, some of the things that keep us, like you were talking about, like these ideas about um, time or like how you work during the summer, um, trying to probably more lean into that instead of trying to fight yourself and how you actually do work. So um, this month we were talking about relationship, relationships with time and the idea of managing your time in a way that works for you and understanding what your priorities are. So it gives you, um, it creates more time to do things that are actually um, the most important to you. So we've had a lot of women being just very thankful to have that conversation because oftentimes we feel that by a certain age, we should have certain things done. But when in fact, if we kind of prioritize what's most important, we probably can find actually more time to do those things and not feel so pressed for time or lacking time or behind or for like a, a sense of missing out on things. Yes. I find that the, the things in your head that you feel are going to take a lot of time, don't. You know, if you actually do them and I, to help me, and this is just something that I do, say I have to write a big article or I have to do a, give a speech and I'm kind of overwhelmed and I won't start it because I'm frankly, maybe a little overwhelmed or uncertain about the whole process. And so that's what keeps me from just putting pen to paper. But giving myself like um, 30 minutes, like I actually set my timer and it's okay. I don't need to sit here for four hours. Let's make the most of these next 30 minutes and just focus on this one task at hand. Don't check email. Don't check my phone. Uh, you know, go somewhere where I won't be distracted and you will be surprised. I'm always surprised. I get so much more done than I think 
in those 30 minutes. And it's just, I think because I give myself a limit, a limit of time, which ends up being very liberating. I agree. I mean, I, I use a similar approach. Like I have like this philosophy about nibbling, which is the same thing, right? I nibble at a project. So um, 30 minutes is even ambitious for me. Sometimes I give myself a 15 minute window to get something done. And then you realize that, oh, 15 minutes is nothing. And then you end up spending the half an hour or the 45 minutes because you get into a groove. So when you lower your expectations, it actually creates better outcomes that I, I find. <laughs> lower your expectations. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've been telling myself that a lot late. My husband actually told me I need to do that more. <laughs> um, and I, I, you know, look, I'm not a perfectionist, but I have standards, but I find that sometimes it is so liberating to say to yourself, you know what, if, if this gets done tomorrow, it's the world will continue to go on. I will still be happy. My kids will still be happy. It's not really a big deal in the grand scheme of life. And, um, that's a good philosophy. I mean, I think that's a good philosophy in, in a lot of things because sometimes your perfectionism can keep you from completing things, which yeah. is paralyzing people. So I think sometimes done is better than perfect, and then you can done is better than perfect. Yes. 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 Hundred yes. percent. All right. Well, let's help some people out today. You do this all the time, yes. um, and we wanted to come have you come back on the show because you are an expert. You've been working with largely women um, in, in, for many years, helping them with everything from saving to budgeting to mindset mm-hmm. management and all of that good stuff and everything in between. And we do have some questions here about how to get out of debt, where to put their money if they want to save. And so a lot of these questions actually came in through Instagram. By the way, Kara has an Im- amazing Instagram page. It's the Frugal Feminista, right? Yes. So follow her there. I follow you. You have beautiful, inspiring, really just important um, visuals and messages that you put up there. And we really appreciate that. And you have a huge following. So a lot of these questions came in through Instagram. I've been encouraging everybody to go on Instagram, follow me first, then send me a direct message that ensures that your question gets front and center on the Instagram message page. Otherwise, if you aren't following me and you send me a question, it kind of goes into this like deep, dark place. And sometimes I I don't see it. You know what I mean, Kara, right? When people like send you questions, I I won't check. And then I'll realize they're like, there's a backlog of, you know, a dozen questions. Um, But if you're following me and you send me a direct message, I get an alert. It's like right there. So it's more likely that I'll address it sooner than later. So do that. And it will ensure that you will get your question answered soon. Now, starting with Erin. Erin on Instagram uh, has a really quick question about saving money. She and her fiance, or husband rather, um, are moving back to the States after spending about four years in Australia. That must have been nice. Mm-hmm. How, how can I do that? <laughs> do you ever fascinate? Do you ever imagine, Kara, like leaving the US? Actually, I guess maybe... Yeah. A couple of years. <laughs> yeah. Having an expat life. I could totally see that since. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. If anyone listening can tell me how I can figure that out as a freelancer and a mom, um, please let me know because I know that there are visa issues and I, uh, I would like to be able to stay somewhere for a long period of time. Anyway, I digress. She's been in Australia. She's coming back. The issue is that while she was in Australia, she wasn't really able to contribute to a 401k, although she has been contributing to a Roth a bit. Her 
question for us is she has about $11,000 in savings from her Australia retirement account that she's going to be taking out since she's leaving the country, she's losing her visa. What do you think she should do with this money? She was considering starting an exchange-traded fund like an ETF through one of the brokerage houses, one of the automated platforms. Um, Just to give everybody some more context on Erin, she's 29. She has about $70,000 in savings, um, I guess maybe for a rainy day. She has about $15,000 in her Roth IRA. Um, She has about another $40,000 in another IRA that she set up way back when her parents did it for her when she was a kid. And sorry, her fiance, not husband, they're getting married next summer. And then they want to buy a house and they've got some savings for that as well. So this $11,000, Kara, seems like it could, it's kind of like a cherry on top here because she's done a really good job of saving in a lot of different ways. Retirement, she's got money set aside for the down payment on the home. She has $70,000 in rainy day savings. I, I mean, I wouldn't, I, I think maybe uh, a Ro- adding to a Roth or perhaps um, starting an ETF or an index fund wouldn't be a bad idea. But I'm also thinking, you know what? She's going to be moving across the globe. That's going to cost money. So maybe don't do anything with it and just wait till you get here, settle in, and then you'll have a better sense of where that money should be appropriated. Right. I kind of, I agree. I think like she has, so she has 70 K in savings. It seems like she has more than enough for a rainy day. And, um, with her, how old is she? She's young still. She's 29. Yeah. Yeah. So she seems to be on the right path in terms of her retirement. And I, I kind of agree that if she were, and she also wants to have like a down payment on the home. So I would think in between that and just making sure that she has enough settled enough money there to help set herself up for that. Um, it doesn't seem like she'll be in financial straits in any kind of way. It won't be yeah. like a lose situation. She's also getting married, so that's going to cost money. <laughs> I guess it depends what kind of marriage she wants to have, too. If she wants something really simple or, you know, just, I don't know. I think just having her sit down, too, and talk to her husband, what kind of wedding do they want to have? And could this money be used for that? Um, would actually help them make more sense of if investing is the right thing for them to do now, or if it's just for like lifestyle shifts and transitions to kind of fund those things. For her question, it sounds that she included some more information about her life when she comes back to the U.S. Um, She said that they'll be living with her parents until they find jobs. So they're not going to have a lot of living expenses. At least they're not going to be paying rent, which is really helpful. I kind of feel like as a woman, as a young woman too, she has a really great advantage now to invest more. I think women as as a, as a group, we need to invest more because we're living longer than men. And we also are more likely to opt out and take pauses in our careers throughout our career. So the more that we can have our money invested and working in that way for us, I think the better over the long run. Mm -hmm. So if she does decide that, you know what, we don't need the money for the wedding. We don't need living expenses covered because we're living with our parents. I've got plenty in my rainy day. Then yeah, I think, I think I would invest it more. Now that whether that is adding that to your existing Roths or starting a separate index fund or ETF, something that's low fee, I think would be really smart and really helpful for her future. Sounds good. 
Yeah. I mean, she's got a lot on her plate and I think it's all very exciting. So Aaron, keep us posted. Let us like send me wedding pictures. Like I want to know what's going to happen in the next 12 months. Um, I'm, I'm invested in her now. So <laughs> thank you for reaching out on Instagram. Um, Kara, how long have you been living in New York? Um, all my life. With this all your life. Yep. Yep. All right. So this question comes from Danielle, who is kind of new to New York. And I think this, this these sorts of questions, like I live for these questions and it's really about friends and peer pressure and spending. Did you ever have a friend who was a spender and hanging out with this person often required you to make um, purchasing decisions that you just didn't want to make or you'd have to buy fancy dinners that you just didn't want to buy? Like, I've had those friends and I've probably been that friend for other friends. I'm sorry, but she says she's got a close friend and she just came back from her birthday dinner. This is the third year she's had a dinner celebration, which she says, you know, it's fun. But the problem with this friend is that she invites everybody. Then she goes and takes the initiative, orders a lot of appetizers and probably drinks. And so by the time the bill gets there, it's about $100 per person. Mm. No one else seems to mind, Danielle says. Is this a New York City thing, she asks. And so she doesn't want to seem like a cheapskate, but she's like really having a hard time budgeting for these birthday dinners every year. And she's, she's asking us, should I just suck it up and pay or is there a tactful way to bring this up? I think that's a great question. I mean, I, I know um, it doesn't have to be that way in New York. Um, there are lots of places that you can find the friends and you have your friends can, can go and it could be like a nice um, ambiance, but it doesn't have to be super duper expensive. Um, just because the friends aren't saying anything doesn't mean that they're not feeling it, but they're just probably just trying not to be the one to stand out as well. I know in, if it's a close friend um, and you have that kind of rapport, speaking to her about just your being transparent about um, the cost of it may actually help her have some insight into how other people may feel. Um, I don't think she's being a cheapskate. I think she's being thoughtful about the larger um, picture here is that it definitely has a, a, a negative impact on her finances and probably the finances of the, these friends as well. Um, if you wanted to like say, um, I've been in these, in these situations, so I'm very transparent about those things. And also um, I think your friends will actually um, thank you for being thoughtful um, because New York is not a cheap place, especially if you want to live that kind of lifestyle. Um, there's also you can bow out of that um, dinner yeah. and just kind of, you know, give her a gift, something that's within your budget and feel good about it because a friendship is going is to last uh, a birthday dinner. It should be if it's like a, a, a useful friendship, not a useful, but like a, um, a worthy friendship. I would agree with the latter. I my my answer is very short and sweet <laughs> to Danielle, which is just don't go to the dinners. Cause here's the thing. I've said this for many years. It's like probably my number one money philosophy. No one cares more about your money than you. No one is gonna like your friends are gonna come up to you and say, Hey, I want to have a birthday party. Is it within your budget? No, they're going to do what they want to do. And it's their choice. It's their birthday. Good for them. But you, as someone who is responsible for your money solely, you are the only person that's responsible for your money. You're the only person that's going to be thoughtful about your money. So you need to 
take on that role and not to be mean about it or or confrontational, but you just bow out, like you said, Carrie. You say, I'm sorry, I can't make it this year. But this person is still your friend. You still love this person. So you do what you can within your means and make a gesture and celebrate their birthday in the way that you can, if it's a small gift or later taking her out for a drink. You know, there are still ways to nurture the relationship without going broke. And so that's it. Just don't go. We had a friend growing when we were in New York in our 20s, a bunch of us uh, girlfriends, we would get together for dinner occasionally and it would be expensive because you go out to dinner and then you get cocktails and then you go to the nightclub. And and one of our friends, a good friend, often would not come to the dinners and she would always be quote unquote working or out of town or at a, you know, uh, had to do something with her family. And so always had a bunch of excuses. And I, I do think that a lot of the times she could have come, she did have the time, but she was not interested in spending all that money on food and beverages. And sometimes she would meet us later in the evening. She'd come out for dessert or would meet us at the bar. So she would skip the bulk of the expenses of the evening. And I think that was smart. That was smart on her end. And look, we're still friends, no hard feelings. Um, she didn't come across as a cheapskate. She just came across as somebody who had other things to do that uh, needed to get done, couldn't make the dinner, but still would, you know, in her best way, hang out with us and create memories. And so that's really, I think, what you got to do. And just remember, no one cares more about your money than you. And it's not to sound harsh or say that your friends are insensitive, but that's just the reality of life. Yeah. I mean, I've had similar experiences um, where um, it was around like weddings where there was the bachelorette party, then there was um, the bridal shower, and then there was like all the things that came with it. And sometimes like I just, just based on being a new mom and with the expenses of being a mother, I just had to do a cost benefit analysis and realize that I would be there, but I won't be able to attend every single part of every um, party. And my friendship is still strong with that friend. Great. So that's good. That's the good news, Danielle. So um, I hope this was helpful to you. And I, I do think it's sort of a New York City thing, not because people here are particularly, um, you know, spendy, although you can easily spend a lot of money here. But I think that things do cost more here than they do elsewhere. So a simple act of going out to eat, although there are many options and you don't have to go to the most expensive restaurant, even if you just go to Olive Garden, <laughs> it's going to be more expensive than the Olive Garden in the Midwest. It just is. So it is a factor of just the city and the cost of living here. But um, I do think it's very easy here to get carried away. So you got to sort of, you know, figure out um, what's the best way for you to manage this friendship and also manage your bank account and not compromise in any way. All right. We have a question uh, from Jessica who is wondering about selling her home and will she have to pay taxes on the gains? So I've, you own your home, right? I'm still paying on it. Yeah. But 
still you're still paying, paying on your home, but you still, but you per, you're a homeowner. Yes. You're not a renter. Correct. Yes. Yes. So, uh, so I'm a homeowner as well. And I've, I have sold a couple of properties in the past. And from what I understand, I mean, you can also look this up, um, Jessica, but th- the fact is, and this is actually good news. Anyone out there who has property, a home that they live in, that they sell, and um, maybe you make some profit off of that, you do not have to claim the profit on your taxes if the if the profit is less than $250,000, which is a lot of money. And, you know, I think that's going to be um, including a lot of people. So people who sell their home and uh, make $250,000 or less in profit from the sale of their main home um, can um, exclude that from their taxes. If you make $255,000 in profit, then you have to... Uh, write down the $5,000 excess on your tax return. Uh, That's if you're single, by the way. If you are married, your exclusion doubles to $500,000, which is like, I mean, if you're going to make more than $500,000 on a sale of a home, um, I think you should be paying a little bit of tax at that point. <laughs> That's a lot of money. And I think this, this is one of the, I think, one of the most generous tax provisions that our country provides. And I mean, can you imagine like making 250 grand and not having to pay a tax on that? That's incredible. So that's the general situation when it comes to capital gains and home ownership. Um, so if you want to learn more about this, there are a lot of websites online that will give you the details. Obviously, go to irs.gov. If you have somebody who is doing your taxes, preparing your taxes, that is also somebody who would be well-versed in this. And um, she, <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit more about Jessica. She says that she and her husband have owned the home for three years her husband just got promoted to a new job out of state. So they're going to have to sell their home. And so uh, this is why the question is coming up. She wants to rent in the new city before taking the plunge into home ownership again. Um, I know one of the other requirements of this tax exclusion is that you have lived in this home for two out of the last five years. Um, It sounds like they have. They've owned their home for three years. They've presumably lived in it. So I think you're good to go, Jessica. I don't think you're going to have to pay taxes unless, of course, you've got a really big uh, profit on your hands. But in general, if you, um, I guess if you and your husband sell this home and it you profit less than 500 grand, it's all yours. It's all yours, baby. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah right? Um, so another question here from Hob Hob Ja on Instagram. Listen to this, Kara. He spent six hours binge listening to my podcast. While mowing the lawn. Wow. While mowing the lawn. <laughs> I kind of love that. Um, thank you for coming on to the show or listening to the show. So he also has a question about capital gains taxes. Um, but you just heard what I told Jessica. So hopefully that answers your question there. But he has another question about whether to sell a house to pay off student loans. I mean, that's kind of the bigger question that he has, Kara. And so, I mean, this is the situation. His wife has $50,000 in student loans at 3%. That's pretty low interest. Um, It's their only debt. And so 
should they, besides their, you know, their home, should they sell the home? Um, they could make about 120 to $130,000 doing it, maybe pocket like, you know, 60,000. So they would be able to essentially pay off this student loan with the sale of this, uh, of this rental property. I kind of think like they shouldn't do it. I think that they should just pay off the student loan in good time. It's probably a 10 year term. And Right. What do you think? I'm thinking like um, the fifty thousand dollars in the grander scheme of student loan life is not a lot of money. No, it's not. And it's a three percent interest, and I'm thinking if they have both have jobs and they just kind of you know um, either reduce some of their spending or maybe if there's a rental property, increase the the actual rent um, for the people that the inhabitants that you'll be able to shave that off like in uh, probably three to five years. And they can still be building equity in that, in that property. So it sounds like you're, um, it's kind of like bringing like a, a gun to like a knife fight. You know what I mean? Like it's it's disproportionate to the actual damage of the 50 K to me. And in this case, not like Jessica's case, because Jessica was living in a primary home. In this case, he's talking about selling an investment property or a rental. The tax rules are different here. Um, a little bit. So you don't owe taxes. You can defer the taxes. There is capital gains tax with investment properties, but if you can transfer the profit into another another investment property within a within a certain period of time, then you don't have to. You won't owe taxes on that gain uh, for the time being. Eventually, you'll have to pay it at some point. But if you are selling this rental to buy another rental and it's a like property, that's an IRS term, like a similar property in that it's going to also be like a rental or an investment property, you can defer the taxes generally speaking. So so it's not like they can just take this profit and put it towards the student loans and you know they, they could maybe with whatever's left after paying the taxes do that, which won't be as much as what he thinks. But we're kind of digressing. I think that like you, Kara, he should just, he and his wife should just kind of stay the course with the student loans, keep the rental property, because especially if it's making them some income, that can definitely help to um, maybe pay off the student loans faster, put a little extra towards the principal every month or every year, and you can knock it down that way. 3% is not very high, by the way. That interest rate is, is low. And like you said, it's kind of sad to say, but 50 grand when we're talking about student loans, is like you're lucky. Yeah, it's doable, <laughs> especially if it's like a two-income household and that that's their only debt. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really think that would because um, you're thinking short term versus long term, like the amount of money, the residual income that the property is going to bring over say ten years can you know really offset the. It would be like yes. be like a shame to to lose the money in in its infancy. I agree. I agree. I agree. Well, our last question is about stock options, which to be honest is not really my forte. And I know Kara, that's not really your sweet spot either. Um, I think partly because I, you know, I haven't worked in for a company for a very long time. And so it's not something that is really um, top of mind for me. Although I know that as people 
who matriculate upwards in like tech companies and big companies and they become senior level and executives that stock options are often an, an incentive that companies offer to attract talent. So Shalato on Instagram wants to ask about stock options and you know, how to kind of factor that into your net worth as you are just building your financial life. And she says she has no clue how stocks work as part of compensation. Is it something that she can negotiate? She just, he or she just doesn't really know. So I think that your best bet, Shalato, is to talk to your human resources department, the company that is issuing these stock options. Talk to those people that are in charge and no question is too basic. And I'm sure you're not the first person that's going to walk into an HR office with questions about stock options. I think they can be very confusing. I think that there's all sorts of rules and regulations around when you can exercise them and the taxes. And so rather than confuse you more with what I, the very little that I know, I think you should just go to the experts, go to the source and ask them in very plain English to explain to you how they can work. And honestly, I wouldn't really um, factor stock options too heavily into your net worth. I mean, they're nice to have in some cases. If you can make money, great, but it shouldn't be a way to plan your retirement. It shouldn't be a way to rest your net worth on it. I think that it's kind of like a cherry on top, but sometimes the cherry falls off. Mm -hmm. I was about to say that, especially if you haven't like actually cashed it in. Like it's Exactly. So it's nice. Um, but I think there's a lot you need to learn. And I know that's why you sent me the question because you're hoping I'd have like a, a lot of, you know, an encyclopedic uh, <laughs> explanation for you. But some resources that I would recommend outside of HR is investopedia.com has done a lot on this topic. And if you have a financial planner, he or she would also be able to give you some really great feedback and could even probably look at the prospectus or look at the plan for the stock options and give you some advice. But uh, I'm sorry to say I'm not the best, most um, experienced person in this department. I do, I also would recommend, um, I hope he's okay me recommending him, but my neighbor from childhood growing up, Kevin O'Brien, he's a CFP and he runs a firm out in Massachusetts called peakfs.com, P-E-A-K-F-S.com. He is the expert on stock options. A lot of his clients work in the tech field or work in at companies that offer stock options as compensation. And he's constantly working with people like that to help them kind of navigate it and kind of figure out how to puzzle piece this into their whole retirement plan. So peakfs.com, if you're interested, I think the first consultation is free with Kevin. So tell him I sent you. (laughs) Uh, That's a very micro uh, direction there. But you know what? That it, it was very fitting. I figured, you know what? Why not give Kevin a little business? But um, thank you for your question and congrats on landing a job that's uh, got some pretty cool incentives. Kara, what are your plans for the rest of the summer? Uh, relax. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, to relax. And I have a couple speaking engagements coming up, but um, just trying to take it um, slow and be um, with my family and, and exercise. So, I can also enjoy the barbecues and all of the sugary beverages uh, for the summer. Yes. 
Oh my gosh. I think I gained about five pounds on vacation last week. <laughs> but honestly, I mean, what else are you supposed to do on vacation? I mean, I guess I could have gone running. You could have. I could have, but I'm not, my kids don't sleep well when we go on vacation and we're in foreign homes. Yeah. Like my daughter kept waking up in the middle of the night. My son fell out of the bed. <laughs> Our nights weren't just not the same. It wasn't like your routine. No, it took us about a week to settle in. By the by, the by the sixth night, my daughter was she slept like twelve hours. Of course, then we had to go leave the next day. So, um, we're gonna go get away again in August, and I'm hoping that it's you know we've learned maybe some tricks by then. And um, also, my mother is coming with us, so that'll help. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Oh, I forgot to say, I am going to travel. I'm going to Ghana. Um, <gasps> wow. Yeah. So that's. Um, do you have family there? Yeah, my my in laws. So yeah. awesome. Yeah, so that'd be nice to see my in laws. It'll be for the first time, though. Do you go often, or do they come to the U.S.? Um, no, this will be the first time, and it's not my first time in Ghana, but my first time um, going as a family. So um, yeah, I'm excited. You know, just to, we've been skyping and you know doing things on um, uh, WhatsApp, but it's nice to be nice mm. to see them in person. That's really cool. I'm, I'm sure your your daughter will also enjoy her time yeah. there with her, with her. I guess her grandparents yes, and her aunties and stuff like that. Oh, that's mm -hmm. cute. Well, Kara, as always, thank you for coming on the show. Everybody, check out the Frugal Feminista online on Instagram. And if you'd like to listen to Kara's episode, that was episode seven twenty three. Um, and as always, if you'd like to reach me. With a question, you can go to somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh, or you can go on Instagram and send me a direct message. And if you want to join my podcast, Accelerator, uh, I should have some theme music for that or something. I feel like I need like some thunder in the yeah, background. I think we needed that. Thunder, yeah. right? Does, does Zencaster have thunder? Let me see. They used to have sound effects. Now they don't do that anymore. Anyway, get in touch. Would love to hear from you and help you if possible. And, uh, Everybody, hope your weekend is so money. Money.